it's it's almost like running downhill. It's really pretty easy. It's like a wind at your back. It's like God is looking at you going, I made you to produce fruit. That fruit tree, you said, wow, a second ago. I think God looks at it and goes, what else was it going to do? It's made to produce fruit. What you're saying is so young, and it already started producing fruit. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't had a harvest. Don't know if it's going to be good fruit. I know somebody who owns a vineyard, and they said, you know, it's about three to four years before you actually start to get. It'll start producing some stuff, but it takes a little bit of time before it actually becomes usable fruit. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. Your journey of faith is so important, and you are on it whether you know it or not, and you're either growing or shrinking in it every single day. But we want to be part of your growth plan. We want you to be thriving, not just surviving in your faith each and every day. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without a Salty Pastor, and we have one of our favorites, Pastor Harvey Friesen, with us yet again, talking to to us more about, we are in our series, The Moral of the Story, The The parables. Parables of Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, so we've been doing parables leading up to all of this. Pastor Doug kicked it off, uh, and then uh, Derek Voorhees, the president of Boise Bible College across the river from us, uh, spoke one Sunday, and then we have Pastor Steve speak, and then I've been speaking here for the last few weeks. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. We're going to talk Mm. about uh, the parable of the tenants, and Jesus gives us parable. Again, we go back to the vineyard. And one of the things that's important for us to understand, because we've got a a layered, built-up, economy. We've got both a real economy and a finance economy now. We're so developed, if you want to call it that developed, uh, that we kind of, we've kind of lost track a little bit. We, a lot of people in Idaho don't recognize Idaho is a agriculture state. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is an ag state, and it's, it still has an agricultural economy. But a lot of people work from home, work in their office, work in, in the trades you know, that don't have anything to do with agriculture, and we forget it. Jesus is using the vineyard because it would have been a marketplace conversation. He used parables to talk about regular things with regular people so he could explain the kingdom of God, which is this big ethereal thing that's up in the heavens, and bring it down to a terra firma, right? A basic plan. Yeah, something that everyone could understand. I mean, yeah. if we brought it into the modern day, if Jesus were to come today and and be doing these parables, he might be speaking, he might use apps or yeah, there was something a of that nature that is, yeah. is pretty universal that everyone is somewhat familiar with yeah, right there was a business owner who had started an e-commerce site and he had several apps and right. when he did that he created an app he created a web interface and he created blah 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 right, right. so but in this case he's doing that so let's just jump right in psalm 121 listen to another parable jesus says there was a landowner who planted a vineyard now he's talking about the vineyard and i want to say one thing last week we said that in that parable it was an in the house parable it was just the disciples talking to those young men giving them a straightforward teaching and he gave the outcomes in very clear language mm. okay this is a back on the porch one he's out on the porch and all the pharisees and scribes have shown up and they're in a gotcha moment they're going to try to get you again so we're back to jesus with them and they want to gotcha so he looks at them and he says uh there was a landowner he planted a vineyard he put up a wall around it he dug a wine press and he built a watchtower now these guys i know for us americans or wherever you're listening around the world on this podcast we hear that we go okay those are really three nice important parts those are in your face big important parts to the jewish hearer why isaiah chapter 5 says this this is isaiah and these pharisees and scribes would have known these verses immediately it says i will sing 
a song I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower in it. He cut out a wine press as well. So all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, Jesus is saying to them, he's giving them basically a Saturday school story because in shul, which they would have gone to, right, into the Chabad, they would have studied and known this exact topic. So he's telling them a parable, but he's almost like taking it off the front page of what they know. He's using references yeah, from they things would know. That- Absolutely. So three things that we know about it. Uh, it says he rented out the vineyard to some farmers and he moved to another place. Again, this would have been an idea that God built it and he entrusted it to someone else. Stewardship is a big theme in the parables. And he was really looking at these guys and calling them terrible stewards. So what did they do? They planted a vineyard. They had a wall around it. What is a wall around it? It has protection. Number two, he planted a vineyard. He put a wine press in it. He resourced that place. So you need to understand something very, very, very big, Jesse, that's going on here. That vineyard represents Israel, the people of Israel. And he's saying, remember, they came out of slavery and they're now free back in the Holy Land, in the promised land, right? So they're living in this wonderful spot. There's a wall around it. There's a wall around the city of Jerusalem, right? There is a wine press in it. There's a way to have commerce in it. You got to remember the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive oil press right next to the city there. And then the third time they put a watchtower of it. In other words, he put it in a secure spot where they would be safe. Right. Okay. So all these things are, are just filled with loads of language. Then you get to back to Isaiah. It says, it says he looked for a crop of good grapes, but that vineyard didn't produce good grapes. So even in Isaiah and these Pharisees and scribes would have seen it. It says, that he planted all that, he did all that, but they didn't produce wine. Mm. Now, the goal of this, and this is where you need to kind of like put your, all right, what's the outcome of this parable in, is the goal of it is this, is that Jesus is demonstrating that the owner demanded fruit. God demands fruit in the New Testament. We're going to talk about John 15, where that is, is that if there are branches that produce fruit, what does he do? He prunes them. We don't like that. That's God disciplines us. You get pruning shares out. What happens? You start cutting stuff. God cuts stuff out of our lives to make us what? More, More. productive. Yep. I was talking with a vineyard owner not too long ago, and, and a couple weeks ago, and he was saying to us that he cut off grapes and just threw them on the ground. And why did he cut off grapes and throw them on the ground? Because he was cutting them off and pruning them because the fruit he did want it to grow, that he wanted to produce, that it would get the most nutrition, it would mm. get the, the best ripeness, it would get all that stuff. So he was even pruning off some of the fruit before it was fruit. So God does that, but this one only dwelled and it gave bad fruit. Uh, then it says in Isaiah, now you dwellers in Jerusalem and Judah, okay, again, this is what he would have been referencing, Judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? In other words, I gave you everything you needed, Israelites, to follow me. Okay? But then what does it say? When I looked for good grapes, why did it only yield bad? Then it says in verse 7, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. It's a very specific thing that Jesus is saying to us in, in Matthew 21. When he's speaking on the porch, he's talking to them, and he's saying, this is what you did. Now, okay, what happened from what, what, what goes far from there? Let's read the scripture. So we're back in Matthew 21. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. Again, it was in Isaiah, the fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one. They killed another, and they stoned a third. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What is he talking about? He's looking at these Pharisees, and he's saying, 
He's saying very, very, very important things. The first one you beat, the second one you killed, the third one you stoned. I think there's two layers of meaning that could be in this that are important to understand. I think it could be the judges, uh, the judges of Israel, the prophets of Israel, and the kings of Israel. And he could have said, every time I send an ambassador to do something good, a leader in your world, David would have been one of those guys, right? right? They wanted Saul over David, right? David did what? Defend the name of God, and God then anointed him to be the king of Israel. Mm. They, they didn't want David. They, they, they wanted Saul, but Saul wouldn't do what? Wouldn't fight on the name of the Lord. So what happens is, is always God's after fruit. I think there's another allegory for us as Christians who are post-New Old Testament, and as we have the New Testament, is I think the beat one, killed one, stoned one could be they beat the prophets, they killed Christ, they stoned Paul. There could be prophetic in this. Because remember, Paul was what? Stoned time after time after time after time. We're talking Middle East stone, not Colorado stone. So let's get clear about well, that. Well, and Stephen was also Stephen stone, was stoned, first martyr of the church. Yeah. First guy that gets killed at the beginning. And who was there? Paul himself right. held the coats when they stoned him. Mm-hmm. So, so mind you, the Pharisees exacted their justice. And we got to remember something else going on is that in Israel, uh, you had the Romans that were running the place. It was a Roman occupied place and the Jews had their law underneath the Romans law. Well, what did the, what did, what did the Jews have at their disposal? They couldn't just kill people. Remember they had to take Jesus to Pontius Pilate to get him to killed, get the okay, yeah. but they could stone you. If you did a moral offense and, and the Romans didn't care, they're like, whatever, one more of you dead. Okay, no problem. Uh, so they had all these things. They knew that the story was coming at them. Mm. Okay. Us as leaders, uh, us as uh, readers and hearers of this word here in our modern day and age, we need to understand something. And I said it a little bit last week in the parable uh, of the shrewd or lousy manager who became a shrewd manager is that we are accountable. There'll be a day of accounting for our lives. That's a long way off. Or it could be tomorrow. But we kind of think of it as like, well, someday, 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 I'll kind of get it all together. Well, someday maybe never, ever comes. God cares about us as his believers producing fruit. Okay, there's an old model of the way the church was. And the church was we just hire staff and they do all the work. Well, that doesn't read the Bible for what it says, is that we have apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists for the purpose of building up the body of Christ for them to accomplish the work of Christ. So a lot of times we've given ourselves sort of a pass about how busy we are and we don't serve in the kingdom of God. Service in the kingdom of God is for everybody. And why are we called to serve? Because when we're serving at God's table, it's part of us producing fruit. 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 And so God's going to call on each of us to produce fruit. And sometimes we don't like that. And the modern brand of Christianity, get a little salty here. I know that Pastor Doug's going to get salty on Thursday with this stuff, but, but get a little bit salty here. The wave of Christianity that is being taught right now is you don't have to serve. You're here to be served. You know, we just need to accommodate you. We're going to get down to 37 second, uh, 37 minute services, and we don't want to inconvenience you and all this sort of stuff. I mean, where, where is that ever in Scripture? Mm. The reason why we ought to really, really be careful here about not letting us believe that it's all about us is that God still expects fruit out of your life. And in fact, so much so, listen to John 15, 1 to 2. He says, Jesus says, I'm the vine, my father is the gardener. I mean, think gardener, he's a pruner, he's got his shears in his hand, and he's either going to prune to get more fruit, or he's going to cut to extract the fruit, right? He's going to take fruit off the tree. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, there is this whole love you Jesus going on that Jesus just loves you and he's your buddy and everything is just so great and you're just so special and you're so perfect. I mean, the, the, the great malady of the, of the American church movement is we keep making Jesus a servant of all of us which he did serve for us and that he died for us and rose from the dead. And he surely is there with us to walk with us and care for us. But we are actually his servants. He's not ours. Right. We constantly want to make a God that serves us, not us. This is why Buddhism is so attractive. Cause what does the Buddha do? The Buddha does what serves you and there and nurtures all your needs and everything you want to do. That's why this notion of new age is all about. God is you, you are God. Well, if you are God, you know, you should be running your own universe. God's run universes. We barely can like mow our own grass, right? I mean, let's be honest about this. So, Getting up in the morning is yeah. so rough. All right, so let's take the parable a little bit further, right? So let's now, Jesus is going to make it. Now he's going to foreshadow where are we at in this parable. we got to remember, we are at the triumphal entry. This parable happens right after Palm Sunday. Jesus has come into the city, and what do they do? They snap down the palm branches, and they said, Blessed is he, Hosanna, Hosanna, God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he has this triumphal entry into there. We're on the front porch. He's talking with the Pharisees. They're hacked at him. All they're thinking about is how they're going to kill this guy. How they're going to take him out. And so he teaches the story, and he gets into their kitchen a little bit, and he says, Oh, by the way, there was a vineyard. And, and they all know he's talking about Isaiah 5. He takes the story one step further, okay? So let's read it. So Matthew 20, 21, 37. Last of all, he said, sorry, 20, 36. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. So, so first servants are beat, killed, and stoned. He sends more. Again, must be more beatings, killings, and stonings. Then he, then he gets to verse 37. Last of all, he sent his son to them. And, and, and it says that the landowner says, they will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out, out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, Jesse, you and I were in Israel earlier this year, and mm -hmm. it was a very important thing that happened. When we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, one of the things that happened was we went from the old city walls of old Jerusalem. We went outside of the walls, and that's where the Holy Sepulchre was. Now, in modern day, it's inside the walls, but the walls at the time of Jesus would have been just inside that Holy Sepulchre right. there. What does this say? They, so they took him. Jesus gets taken here at the end of the week, right on Thursday night. They, they, they arrest him. Okay. They threw him out of the vineyard. They took him out of the city of Jerusalem. What did the city of Jerusalem have? Walls, resources, and had a watchtower. They took him out of the vineyard and they killed him. So they would never have killed him in the city because that would have defiled the whole city. So they took him out of the city and that's where they did the cross. We saw that. That's actually going on there. So he sends his son. Jesus is giving the parable there in verse 37 uh, here on our third page. And, and they kill him. Okay, well, so, so now what? So verse 40, then when the, the owner of the vineyard comes home, what will he do with those tenants? So he goes back and says, okay, now I'm going to deal with you. You killed my, all the servants I sent to you twice, and you killed the son. All right, so they're ratcheting all up. I got to tell you, if I'm one of those Pharisees in the moment and I'm hearing this parable, I'm thinking, does he know what we're going to do? 
He knows. <laughs> he already knows. Cat's out of the bag. Who told him? Did you, oh that Judas? I yeah, know. They're, he look, they're looking at each other like, yeah. Wait, who told him? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And 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 the other side of it is, we have to believe that the that the that the apostles, the disciples, they would have been here too. Can you imagine Judas hearing this parable? I mean, I, I, I Has he already made the deal at this point? I mean, he hadn't made the he, deal at this point. But he was thinking. But he's, oh, of course. And he already is thinking about the possibility of all of that stuff. I mean, it was already in his heart, right? So so let's read it. Verse 40. Therefore, then, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? He will bring those wretched... Uh, sorry. What will he do that? And, and they replied. He asks the Pharisees. He tricks them in the moment. And he <laughs> says, well, when the owner comes, what do you think is going to happen? And they go, well... He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Even they knew what the moral law was. Now you got to believe something. And I, and I'm, this is conjecture. So given a little bit of opinion on this, but I don't think that all the Pharisees were in on the killing. I think that there were some, obviously Caiaphas, the high priest was in on it. But deals usually get hatched and the whole organization doesn't know about it, right? right? So the whole Sanhedrin wouldn't have known about it, perhaps. I mean, they always said, well, we hate this guy. We don't like him. and He's terrible and like that. But there were a few that said, we're going to get rid of him. Right. And he's coming in for what? The high holy days. He's coming in for Passover. We're going to kill him on Passover. So Jesus ups them, comes in a week early, has a triumphal entry. All of a sudden, the crowds are all for him. And now they're ratcheted up and they got to figure out their plan. So in this scenario, it was probably opinion it could have been some of those who weren't in on the plan who jumped forward and said, well, that wretched thing, they should have done, you know, you, you're, they're going to get what's coming to them. Okay. I would imagine that the guys that were plotting this probably shut their mouths at that moment. <laughs> they didn't say a word. And 100%. They said, oh, oh, God, you know, how does he know what we're going to go do? Verse 43, Jesus even answers. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who will, what? Produce fruit. Produce fruit. Because, again, the goal was fruit. God cares about us producing fruit in our lives. Modern day American Christianity says, oh, just come to church. You can do whatever. It doesn't matter if there's fruit in your life or not. I got to tell you, you're being lied to. God cares about whether you're producing fruit, whether I'm producing fruit, Jesse, whether you're producing fruit. God cares about that because he said in, in John 15, 1, or 1 and 2, if you don't produce fruit. He's standing there as the gardener with those shears. He's going to either cut off branches or he's going to prune branches. Either way, that God you're being told about, he's just there and he loves you and he's your buddy. And he's, you got to remember this. He's got pruning shears in his hand when he's coming at you one way or the other. Okay. And people go, well, that's a fearful God. And why should we hear, you know, God's not a hateful God and God isn't a hater. And you go, well, hold on. God is a God who looks after his vineyard. I guarantee you, anybody out here in your business world, if it benefits you to cut off the dead and send it out, you do it. Anybody, I mean, I'm not talking about just the owners. I'm talking about anybody who's working. You go, you know what? That's just not producing for us. Nobody keeps whole divisions that are dying just because of the tax write-off. At some point, they sell it off, cut their losses, and take what they can get, just like the shrewd owner did last week. Okay, so in our lives, we are called to produce fruit. God cares about fruit in our lives. He cares about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 and 24. Now, in this, you all, we ought to see something very important. God expects something out of us. And we don't like this part of the Bible. We like that we get all the benefits. 
God comes and says, I give you the benefits. I, I will resource you with the wine press. I will protect you with the walls, and I will give you oversight of it all with a watchtower. Okay, that's in the parable. So that you can produce fruit. And he says, whoever I give it to, they will be called to produce fruit. And then he says something that's just at the end, and this is why they get really angry. Verse 44, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, again, you go, okay, that's kind of vague or cryptic or what does that really mean? And you look at it and you go, well, there's, there's actually some meaning to all of this. Uh, there's, there's in there, in, in, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 5. Now, I tell you in verse 5, what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make a wasteland neither pruned nor cultivated and the briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. Now, I think that's a foreshadow of when they go off into captivity in Babylon. I think that in Jeremiah and Lamentations, what happens is they go off for a 70-year captivity into Babylon. I think that's a foreshadow to it that's back there from Isaiah. But Jesus is saying what God did before, because remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What God did before, he's going to do again. What God called those people to was to produce fruit. He's calling us to produce fruit. Nobody gets a waiver. No one's so special in the kingdom that all they get to do is just kind of walk around and eat fruit. Actually, we're all called to produce fruit, right? And, and now someone says, well, wait a minute. Are you saying if I don't produce fruit, I'm not saved? I will say this, is that if we're not producing fruit in our lives, we should ask ourselves this question, am I really saved? Hard question. And second of all, am I really trying to please the God who saved me by producing fruit or not to, or not producing fruit, am I just looking at him going, what are you going to do about it? Well, and I think it's the same idea of like, well, when you when you follow Christianity, there's all these rules you got to have. And it's like, no, God's not a, a, a God of don't do this. He's like, do the things that please me. And there's a lot of things that don't please me the same way you would not go out and be sleeping around on your wife because, you know, that's obviously not going to make her happy. God is once you a relationship with you. And I think the idea that, oh, well, if I'm not out there slaving away for God or I'm not following his rules, he's a fearful God and he's going to prune me and do whatever. And it's like, no, you're doing this out of love, right? Like yep. you, it's a, it's a perspective shift of, totally. it's not a bunch of rules. It's a, what would you do to, for some, a relationship that you truly love the person in? Yeah, that's right. And, 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 and honestly, we were made to produce fruit. I'll give you an illustration. So Shally teaches uh, my wife, Shadley, teaches the, uh, uh, a lot of the classes on, uh, during the, the school year in the kids' men, right? And so last year, at the end of the whole year, some of the kids got together, and they, and they know how much she loves uh, Idaho and how much she loves the outdoors and how much she loves uh, garden and fruit and all like this. And they gave her a, uh, um, a young peach tree that we planted in the backyard. And this year, there were, lo and behold, there were peaches hanging on that tree. Wow. And, and yeah, I know. Right now. Now think this out for a second. OK, it's it's almost like running downhill. It's really pretty easy. It's like a wind at your back. It's like God is looking at you going, I made you to produce fruit. That fruit tree, you said, wow, a second ago, I think God looks at it and goes, what else was it going to do? 
it's made to produce fruit. What you're saying is so young and it already started producing fruit. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't had a harvest. Don't know if it's going to be good fruit. I know somebody who owns a vineyard and they said, you know, it's about three to four years before you actually start to get. It'll start producing some stuff, but it takes a little bit of time before it actually becomes usable fruit. Right. Okay. You know what they call that in spirit life? Maturity. Mm. That's maturity. First, you got to row a little boat. First, be, prop, be be faithful in little things. I'll make you in charge of bigger things, right? So isn't it fun to see how the Bible just keeps coming together and coming together? And so let, let's, let's go back to that prophecy about the crushing, right, where Jesus says you'll be crushed. And Jesus says to them, have you never read in Scripture, verse 42, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes, Right. What is he quoting? He's quoting Psalm 118. Again, we're on the porch. The scribes and Pharisees, they would have known exactly what he was saying because Psalm 118 says this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What is the cornerstone? Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2 is the cornerstone of the church. And what's the cornerstone of Jesus' ministry? That he would die, that he would be... uh, that he, that he would be crucified, that he would die, be buried, and in three days resurrected from the dead. He became the chief cornerstone. It says in Psalm 118, God prophesied it would happen. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting scripture verbatim to these guys on the porch. It says in, in Psalm 118, Blessed is, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we will bless you. He's now, again, in that one is the triumphal entry. Everybody said on Palm Sunday. So all this stuff is fresh in their mind. How is it fresh in our minds? It's fresh this way. Jesus enters on Palm Sunday. Everybody says, wow, you're really great and you're really wonderful. Because why? We think he's going to give us all these things. He's going to be the new king. He's going to liberate us from the Romans. He's going to make life great. He's going to put all this stuff together the way you want it to be. And then he comes in. He goes, no, no, I'm going to die for you so that you may have life in me and I will defeat death for you. Now come and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You do that with the resurrection. When he says these stones would be crushed, it's very important to understand something uh, that the stone will be crushed is he's saying to them, you are crushing the very protective foundation that God has established for redemption. You will reject the Messiah. And this, uh, this is a strong, uh, this is a bit of a strong statement here is one of the great struggles of, of the country of Israel is that they have rejected Jesus thoroughly, thoroughly rejected Jesus and, and, and so much so that they, they want nothing to do with the city of Nazareth. They want nothing to do with the city of Bethlehem because where he was born and where he was raised, they just they want to almost like forget that they exist in Israel. And those two cities now are what? Populated with Arabs because Jews won't live there. It's very interesting how they just want to eradicate the thought. And so when Jesus gives this prophecy to these guys and he lays it out for them, and he, and he says to them, anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. What he's saying is this, is, is that when you give account and you reject Jesus Christ in your life, it's going to crush your life. Mm. And, and this is the modern day question for each of us. Have we accepted Jesus Christ as the Savior of our lives and the Lord and leader of our lives? Right. He says in the scripture in Matthew 25, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we do this? And didn't we do this? See, here's a very important thing. Activity does not mean fruit. 
Mm. And one of the things that the church, if you if if here's some iterations, again being a little salty, is one we just want happy Jesus. And if anybody's ever seen that movie uh, uh, with uh, Talladega Nights with Ricky Bobby yeah. or whatever, his prayer is is blasphemous. But but in it, he's like, and dear baby Jesus, and baby Jesus, and 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 and, and his wife says, well, why why do you keep calling him baby? Jesus? Well, I like baby Jesus the best. Well, we like benefits Jesus the best. Right. Right. Benefits Jesus only is a way of Christianity being taught today. I think it's really Nicianity, not Christianity. It's baby Jesus. It's benefits Jesus. Second one is, is well, it's ought to Jesus. Well, I ought to do this. I ought to do it like this. The third one is, God made me as a peach tree, and peach trees produce fruit. And what I need to do is just be a conduit of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit work in my life. If I surrender my life to him, what happens in baptism, right? It's not a formula, but it's how God works, is that we are we repent, we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that when God is living in our lives, what are the fruits? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And in that, we are called to have all those fruits, and from last week, we are still called to be shrewd as we face the world. Mm. When you get to say, when we get to uh, Timothy in Second Timothy chapter three, it says, "For in the latter days, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God." That lovers of pleasure benefits Jesus is what is being taught today too. You're being called to be loved by God, and in loved by God, God comes along with you and looks at you with the gardening shears and says, "Hey, you're producing great fruit. Let's produce a little bit more." Hey. You're not producing any fruit. You will be accountable someday, and you'll be cut off. This is a hard saying of Jesus, and it's straight into the Pharisee's face. Jesus was not some, everybody wants to paint him as this, well, whatever you think, and it's really great, like hipster Jesus, right. you know, cool, whatever. Wimpy, wimpy hipster Jesus. Yeah, drink a growler, do like that. You know, I mean, that's not him. He's the guy who comes along and he says, hey, you want to confront God? Here's truth. And this truth is said in love, and the truth is said to each of us in love. Do we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and leader of our lives, and are we producing fruit? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pastor, so much yeah, for pleasure. sharing that with us today. Again. I'm excited to hear what Pastor Doug says on Thursday, and then Same. obviously your sermon on Sunday is going to wrap this all up into yeah. a nice little bow, having uh, all this new knowledge. And i got to say, I like I've been saying this whole series, these parables are so much better now that I understand them, I, the deeper, I get so much yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. no much more it's, in them. They've always been great, but like I'm getting so much more out of them with this Fuller. weekly study of us talking about it. And then when I'm going back through and reading in my own devotional time, I'm reading these. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm seeing this and I see how it ties to this and this and this. And you're just getting so much more now that these aren't just, you know, uh, vague. Yeah. yeah, they're not yeah, vague. Yeah. And the parables themselves have a little bit of a riddle to them. Yeah. Is that our call is to what? Teach them and to help people understand the word Absolutely. of God. Well, thank you for helping Pleasure. teach us. And we'll see you guys here on the Salty Pastor Podcast next or on Thursday.